Welcome back to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas, a terrific time with family. I'm sure plenty of good Christmas food. If you're like me, you're probably going to be recovering for several days. So many gift cards and uh, all sorts of treats and snacks that I can be enjoying here at home for the next several weeks. So it was a jolly Christmas for yours truly. I'm the host of the Locked on Buckeyes podcast, Kyle Lamb. Thanks for listening again. Today coming up, we're going to continue our series number four in the list of the top five wins of the last 25 years for Ohio State, as voted by you. Of course, we, we've already got the first three out of the way. Number one, 2002 season, the national championship game, Ohio State-Miami. Then on Tuesday, we had number two, Ohio State-Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, January 1st, 2015, the semifinal of the 2014 college football playoff. And yesterday, Christmas Day, we had our number three game, the game from 2006, the game of the century, as they call it, Ohio State's 42-39 win over that team up north. So today, we'll bring you the number four game of the last 25 years, and I'll reminisce some more about what I remember from that game and a couple interesting anecdotes looking back. We'll, we'll discuss that also coming up here in just a minute. Ross Fulton, analyst of BuckeyeGrove.com, will be along as we look at Clemson. We go in hardcore into scheme, talking about personnel, what Clemson is going to try to do to beat Ohio State and what Ohio State has to do to beat Clemson. Can they stand up to the pass rush of the Tigers? Can Ohio State wear down that Clemson you know, smallish defensive line? We'll get into all that with Ross coming up here in just a few minutes. Locked on Buckeyes is brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. Lock on Buckeyes is your only daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. I am very proud of that fact, and I am very, very proud of how many of you have joined us on a daily basis here at Locked On. Truly, as we wrap up the 2019 year and move towards 2020, this podcast is growing incredibly and I am just absolutely thrilled. So thank you for making it a part of your day. For those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, maybe don't have us bookmarked, find and follow Lock on Buckeyes on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple or any of the iTunes or Apple products. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers and it'll pull it up for you. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8. If you haven't done so, do some last-minute feedback. We'll talk Ohio State football as we approach Clemson on Saturday or Ohio State basketball, which, by the way, is number two in the country and plays West Virginia this Sunday. I'll have a preview of that on Friday as well. Follow the show at Locked On Buckeye Singular. We're here with Ross Walton now from Buckeye Grove, football analyst. We're going to dissect... Preview Ohio State Clemson on Saturday. Ross, how you doing, man? It's it's almost game time finally. I'm doing well, Kyle. Absolutely. So I want to start with um, first. Let's start with comments made by Justin Fields on Tuesday, telling the world that he is only about quote eighty to eighty five percent. And look, you know, people I know have mixed feelings about this. Is he healthy? Is he not healthy? But I think people are forgetting here that you don't generally tell the world that you're not healthy and that you're limited 
more than you want to be. So that kind of tells me, even if I didn't have other suspicions, that maybe they're buttering this up and uh, to the media just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised. I mean, I guess he could be being straightforward. You know, I mean, even at eighty-five percent by the hopefully by the game time, you're pretty good to go. But it seems like a situation where um, if it was a problem, you probably wouldn't want to say it. But I guess hard to ultimately know. But you know, it makes you wonder if he's eighty-five percent now. What exactly was he versus Wisconsin? Fifty percent. So even that eighty-five percent would be a lot better. Yeah, uh, given that he still had a good game there. Right, and the very fact, like, even if we take him at face value, and again, put a little asterisk by that, take it with a grain of salt, but even if we take it at face value, he did say he would be using the smaller brace as opposed to the bigger brace he used against Wisconsin. So that right there would give him a lot more mobility than we saw against Wisconsin. And as you said, he probably wasn't anywhere near 80% against Wisconsin. So... I think it's it's a good case scenario regardless, but again, I I kind of think that you wouldn't be telling the world that hey, I'm not as mobile as I want to be, which would make it easier to game plan for him if that were the case. Yeah, uh, what you're saying makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I and, I mean, and Ross, like I I really think because Ryan Day did say last week they expected him to be about a hundred percent for this game, and they were planning on him not using the brace. It's possible he didn't make the improvement since then that they wanted him to make. But again, I kind of think that they're all along we're planning on him not having that brace and being pretty mobile. And I, th- I still kind of think that that's the game plan. And we're going to see a Justin Fields uh, running the ball a lot on Saturday. Yeah, Kevin Wilson on in interviews the same day suggested or seemed at least to me to likewise suggest that he felt like Justin Fields was going to be fine. But I do think that Fields being able to run uh, both on reads, uh, design runs, as well as scrambling is going to be critical. And so it obviously is very important for Ohio State that he is, in fact, able to do that. Um, but I, I still expect him to be able to. Comments purported this week to have come from Brent Venables about Fields as far as reading a defense and, and what Ohio State does schematically seem to suggest they're optimistic that uh, Fields doesn't read a defense very well, and they can take advantage of that. Uh, setting aside whether or not Venables actually said that, w- what are your thoughts on on that whole uh, that whole concept as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea whether he said that, but I just from the perspective of I have not seen any indication that Justin Fields has difficulty reading a defense. Um, I think Ohio State uses a lot of concepts that are designed to defeat certain coverages and a lot of times they'll put you know for instance a a concept to one side that's designed for man coverage a concept to the other side designed for uh zone or cover four so in fact um jeremy ruckert's touchdown against wisconsin is a good example and fields consistently picks the right side to go to and he's made lots of plays in the passing game this year they've converted a, uh, a huge percentage of third longs so, I, I mean, I think that I kind of get the sense that people are really underselling the Ohio State passing game, um, and particularly because a lot of times you what's happening in the Ohio State passing game is downfield and you can't see it in a, on a regular TV screen, but it's a very pro-style system. In fact, much more of a pro-style system than, say, what Clemson does, which is a lot of quick game, a lot of RPOs, uh, and then deep shots to those, you know, to 
to let uh, Higgins and Ross outside make plays. So I don't really have a lot of concern about Ohio State not operating a sophisticated enough passing game uh, to, to take on Clemson. We'll talk about this in a minute when we jump over to the Clemson offense, but I, I, from what I see with Clemson's offense, especially the passing game, it's, it's just a lot of it is just back shoulder throws and, and jump balls. That, that seems to be what they do with their receivers. Yeah, I mean, they're going to take – there's a lot of RPOs, which, again, it makes for really interesting because Ohio State's single-high defensive scheme is designed to take away a lot of RPOs. So it'll be interesting to see how Clemson responds to that. But a lot of times it is, I mean, you know, that's on Trevor Lawrence to make the right read, but they'll throw a five-yard hitch, and those guys will make the break a tackle from a corner, and it turns into a 25-yard gain, which, hey, I mean, that's great. That's why they're so good. I mean, those guys are future high-end NFL players. Uh, but it's not like, again, that they're working a lot of those mid-range concepts that I see Ohio State use, and maybe it's just because they haven't had to this year, but... Um, I think it'll be, it'll put some pressure on them to be a li- little bit more diverse in the passing game than, than they have been. Ross, you've probably seen me on Twitter, and this has been a big focus that I've had on, on the podcast here for the last couple of weeks. But when I watch this Clemson defense, number one, the thing that sticks out to me, I mean, duh, this is kind of common sense. It's not the defensive line they've had in the past. It's a smaller front seven than a lot of teams. It's, it's a little bit more like Michigan than some other teams that Ohio State has played. I feel like Ohio State has a path to to run the ball against this Clemson team because we've seen some lesser teams run and control the line of scrimmage against Clemson. It didn't really manifest itself in a lot of success overall, but we have seen some teams kind of push them up up front a little bit. Agreed. I, I'm, I think that it's critical for Ohio State to especially control their interior three against the Clemson defensive tackles. Um, you know, the odd front that Clemson has used more this year is pretty susceptible to the run because they don't have the defensive, uh, you know, the nose guard or defensive tackles to what's called two-gap it. And so they can kind of be pushed around. And so I think that's where it starts for Ohio State. And I think if they can control the line of scrimmage and stay ahead of schedule, then I think that Clemson has some vulnerabilities at linebacker and safety in terms of playing uh, coverage and getting those guys singled up. Ross, I've had a couple people tell me this Clemson team defensively rise, has relied more on scheme this year than personnel. What do they do defensively that has been so successful? So just the versatility. They just use so many more concepts than most college football teams do. You know, they'll go from one down, they're playing four down linemen um, and playing cover four. The next down, they're using an odd front and playing cover three the next down they're playing man coverage the next down they're using zone blitzes you, they just throw a lot at you and you know they execute it well and um you know and in particular isaiah simmons gives them a lot of versatility because he'll go from playing deep safety to playing man coverage to blitzing to playing inside linebacker um and so you know it just puts a lot on the quarterback and the offensive line to diagnose correctly what they're seeing the bet the the best thing or, you know, one of the better things Ohio State has going for it is that they've relied so much on outside zone this year and run it so well. That is a concept that really isn't as dependent on what the front is. As long as you correctly identify it and block it, it can, it works against any defensive line uh, combination. So that's one thing. It's not like uh, when Ohio State 
was is dependent on tight zone, and you could align in certain fronts to sort of take that away. That's what I love about these bowl matchups is it, it's not you have three weeks to prepare, so you have a lot of time to adjust for teams just like Clemson. Whereas if this were played the week after Wisconsin, the week after Michigan, maybe Ohio State's in a little bit more difficult position, but they've had three weeks to get ready for a team that throws a lot at them. So it's not as big of a deal in, in maybe like a one-week offsetting. Exactly. And, you know, it's just, again, about just don't get caught. Um, you know, people focus a lot on, on Brent Vettelbull's blitzing, and it's not like he's super aggressive like Don Brown is really it's more that he uses a variety of zone blitzes where he they're called replacement blitzes where he'll bring someone and then drop someone right into coverage there and you know against Alabama for instance last year they got a pick six doing that um and so you just have to be you know really sharp mentally with what's going on and as I said though if you can diagnose it they are vulnerable especially uh, Muse and coverage as a cover for safety. Um, you know, teams have taken advantage of that, but it, it's at some level this year, it's even hard to judge, for instance, how well they play run defense because they just haven't faced anyone that could even run the ball against an average team. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's like judging Ohio State against having played Rutgers, Indiana, and uh, Northwestern and trying to judge how that would extrapolate to playing Clemson. Yeah, it's interesting, Ross, because the perception of this, going back to the, to the offensive side of the ball for Clemson, the perception here is that Clemson is really dangerous. And don't get me wrong, they've got some studs on the offensive side of the ball. But you look at the stats, they're very, very similar to Ohio State. But when you take into account, Ohio State has faced five top 25 defenses. Clemson hasn't faced any. In fact, fact out of the 11 teams, FBS, that Clemson has played, only three of them are above average defenses, which is just incredible. So, you know, I see... Looking at games like in South Carolina, Texas A&M, Charlotte, Syracuse, there are games where that run game of Clemson and Travis at the end, at the end got shut down. And I I really think that that schedule was so bad. I think it's it's hard to really truly know how good this Clemson offense really was this year. Uh, agreed. I think in particular, I, I don't think their offensive line would really strike fear in anyone I don't to me Ohio State isn't going to get beat by Clemson running the football maybe outside of Trevor Lawrence making some plays on uh, reads uh, Clemson's going to if Clemson's going to beat Ohio State's defense it's going to be throwing the football um you know I mean that's how they they beat Alabama they weren't able to run last year on Alabama either um uh, and so yeah I, mean, I think it's you know Ohio State offense has played a bunch of good defenses I think there's a more comparable case with the Ohio State defense. I'm not sure they've played any offense. Definitely not the caliber of Clemson, but definitely also not the caliber of the defense the Ohio State's offense has faced, if that makes sense. So the Ohio State offense is definitely the most battle-tested of the units in this game. I saw Jonathan Vilma, Ohio State fan's favorite analyst out there, <laughs> talk about how Clemson will target Sean Wade. Um, I laughed out loud at that. Uh, what do you think Clemson will actually try to do against Ohio State? Well, I know what I would do, which is I would, I would come out in two tight ends to see if Ohio State puts four linebackers on the field and to give uh, Higgins and Ross lots of room to run. But, you know, again, it's an interesting matchup because what Clemson has thrown a lot outside the hash marks this year, which makes sense to those two guys. But that's really where Ohio State is pretty locked down with their corners. And Ohio State's been vulnerable over the uh, much more over the middle of the field um, between – 
the, the levels of the defense, so between the inside linebackers and the deep safety. And so I would expect Clemson to, to target there, but it, uh, again, it's going to take a little bit of a different approach, I think, from Clemson if they want to go after that. So it makes for an interesting matchup. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it, it's good when analysts actually watch the film. And so, like, when someone says Ohio State's going to have to play man, like, just you know that they haven't paid attention because Ohio State plays lots of man all season. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's a bit, it really <laughs> without naming names. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, like, it really at does least expose look for analysts that know what they're talking about. It really does expose people when they make comments like that. It really does. Exactly. So you know, hey. But as I said, in a bowl setting, every it's much better to have everyone pick against you and say that you're not going to play well than the opposite. We've seen the opposite happen in 2006. Um, so you would much rather go into a game with. Uh, everyone and their mother picking uh, for you to lose. Yeah, I think you get. I, I agree completely. I think you can get complacent in kind of a bowl setting when you have weeks and weeks and weeks of telling, hearing people say how good you are. I don't think it's purposeful, but you can maybe go easy during the practice and, and get a little too, uh, you know, I, maybe a lack of motivation for for a better term. But it, it does, I think, get to some teams if you don't handle it properly. So I think Ohio State, not that they need to play the everybody is against this role, but being an underdog, I, I think, does kind of help refocus them just a little bit. I agree with that. I think especially after that three-week stretch. And, you know, I think from Ohio State, from sort of a more intangible perspective, I think it'll be critical for them to get out fast because Clemson just hasn't faced an opponent like that. I mean, I know they keep saying we play each other every day in practice, but it's not the same. And so it's going to take them a little bit to get up to speed with what just playing a comparable team, uh, if not even a deeper team. So, well, uh, you know, I think uh, that'll be on them to, to get out of the gate fast. Well, it's interesting you said that because I, I, I actually made the same comment last week on the podcast, Ross, because I said I think if Ohio State gets out early and, and the run game is as successful as I think it'll be, I think that's where Ohio State could wind up grinding the game out and winning by a pretty big margin. Whereas if they get behind early and Clemson's defense is able to tee up on Justin Fields in pass protection, that's where it could get dicey. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think Ohio State obviously wants a game where they're able to run the football like they have all year. And, and that the one thing that's basically slowed down the Ohio State offense, as you said, is when they get negative plays and particularly sacks. Well, he is Ross Fulton. You can catch him on Twitter at Ross R. Fulton or go over to Buckeye Grove and read his analysis of this game. We're a couple days away, and it's going to be a great one. Maybe it won't be a great one. Maybe Ohio State comes out and puts the blitzkrieg on Clemson. I'm actually thinking that's a possibility more than other people, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. Ross, I appreciate all the analysis for sure. I'm uh, happy to do it. Yeah, I I think it'll tend to be a higher scoring game than people think if Uh, I had to make a prediction. I I don't think that the... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said 38. Sorry to cut you off. I said 38-24, so I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I think there will be some points put on the board. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, that is going to do it for us. Ross Fulton, thanks again. Make sure you check his workout over on BuckeyeGrove.com. I was looking back the other day at our number four win of the last 25 years for Ohio State, and it was remarkable to look at the box score because – it really felt like the box score tells a different story than the game actually played out. When you look at our number four game, Ohio State Oregon, the national championship for the 2014 season, played on January 12, 2015, 
it felt like Ohio State just completely dominated this game. It was interesting because unlike Alabama, where there was a lot of skepticism, we talked about we didn't know if Cardell Jones was the real deal. Was he legit? Could he lead Ohio State to a win over Alabama in the Sugar Bowl? We got our answer, but there was doubt going into that game. But after what Ohio State did to Wisconsin and then what they did to Alabama, I remember Buckeye Nation, there was very little doubt that Ohio State would get the job done against Oregon. And with the exception of the first couple of drives of the first quarter, which uh, that game did start a little awkward for Ohio State. It was a little bit nerve-wracking for Buckeye Nation. It, it wasn't the perfect start. Oregon took the ball right down the field, the first possession. Ohio State got behind, and it really took uh, almost a quarter for Ohio State to really click. But once they clicked, boy, did they ever. And when you look at the box score, it doesn't feel like it's representative of how the game played out. Marcus Mariota passed for 333 yards in this game, 8.8 yards per attempt, which was not crazy good, but pretty good. But it felt like Ohio State contained him. And I think part of that is because of the turnovers, the fourth down conversions, the red zone trips that came up empty for Oregon. Ohio State bent a lot defensively in this game, but they did not break. And even rushing the ball, Oregon still ran for a a decent 132 yards on four yards to carry. But Ohio State's defense did just enough to get the ball back to the offense. And, And that offense had a great game. Ohio State wound up with 538 yards. Cardell Jones, 10 and a half yards per attempt a very efficient 16 of 23 for 242 yards. But of course, it was the ability to run the ball by Ohio State that won that game against Oregon. 296 rushing yards. Ezekiel Elliott going over 200 for the third straight game. Ohio State's toughness, physicality, and ability to run the ball was the difference in that game. In the second half, it was still a close game, and Ohio State pulled away because they were able to cram the ball down Oregon's throats. And time of possession, huge in this game. 37 minutes for Ohio State, 23 minutes, uh, 37 and change for Ohio State, 22 and change for Oregon. Ohio State played keep away. When Oregon had the ball, Ohio State bent, but they did not break. And it really, it's, it's no wonder that Ohio State won this game because they were the tougher team, the more physical team, which is it's kind of ironic because one of Oregon's big problems when they've been good the last 20 years, even going back to the Mike Bellotti days, they've had some skill. They have had players at the skill position. They've had dudes. They've had fast guys, team speed. I know Kirk Curbstreet is slobbering right now thinking about that. Team speed. Oregon has had that in bunches for a long, long time. Mike Bellotti, Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich, even Willie Taggart. But Oregon got lucky with this latest hire because Mario Cristobal is turning Oregon into a... They're turning them into an Ohio State type of program because they are quickly becoming tough on both sides of the ball. The front seven defensively is going to be really good in a couple of years. Folks, I'm telling you, I, I really believe strongly in what Mario Cristobal is doing at Oregon right now. Offensively, they've got a great line. The skill positions and quarterback, 
running back. Ironically, it remains to be seen how good they're going to be there, but they are recruiting offensive linemen. They're recruiting defensive linemen and linebackers. This program now, ironically, is turning into... It's getting the the element of the toughness that they have been lacking for so long. How thankful should they be that Willie Taggart went on to Florida State? Because they, they lucked out right there. That has been a great thing for them. Florida State's a train wreck. Oregon now is in really, really good shape for the future. I'm looking forward to this Oregon-Ohio State series the next couple of years, by the way. Oregon's going to be a tough test, especially out there in Eugene next year. That defense is going to be really tough. Great test for Ohio State to start the year. But going back to Oregon-Ohio State 2015, this game is down at number four. It's at number four because it was still a championship for Ohio State. And I remember Ohio State fans were just, they were beside themselves. It had been 12 years since the last title. This one was special, but obviously it wasn't as special as the win against Alabama because they had to exercise the demons. It was a bigger kind of a bigger underdog role in the Bama game. Now, they were still a touchdown underdog against Oregon, but I don't remember anybody for Ohio State thinking, yeah, I don't know if Ohio State could beat Oregon. Once Ohio State beat Alabama, especially after the Wisconsin showing, I think everybody knew this was probably going to be an Ohio State win. So Oregon-Ohio State, 42-20 Buckeyes win in the national championship in 2014. That is our number four game of the last 25 years for Ohio State football. It's still a title. So we had number one, Miami, Ohio State. Number two, Ohio State, Alabama. Number three, the game in 2006, the game of the century, quote unquote. So our number four win, Ohio State over Oregon, 42-20 in the 2014 national title game. Great win for Ohio State, shutting down the Heisman Trophy winner, Marcus Mariota and company. As I said, it, When you look at the stats, he put up the numbers, but Ohio State's defense did just enough to hand it back to Ezekiel Elliott in that offensive line, and they mowed down the Oregon defense. The very, it was an improved defense, by the way. If you think back, the Oregon defense had been very, very bad previously. That was an improved defense, but Ohio State was just too tough for that team. So OSU, national championship game, 42-20, our number four game in the last 25 years. Tomorrow, Locked on Buckeyes, Friday, we do last preparations, Ohio State, Clemson. I'll break it down one more time, get my thoughts, analysis, observations, predictions for Saturday as we look ahead to the Fiesta Bowl, one half of the college football playoff semifinal. Buckeyes and Tigers, it's been three weeks and we're almost there. Finally, time to stop all the Well, we're being disrespected. No, we're being disrespected. Actually, by the way, Clemson, it is Ohio State being disrespected. But I'll talk more about that tomorrow. Locked on Buckeyes, your only daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Find us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms if you haven't done so already. Tell a friend about us. We're on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio and many more third-party apps. Catch me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Catch the show at Locked on Buckeye. We will be back tomorrow. Final preparations and previews for Ohio State Clemson. Have a great week, everybody.